0: pittsburgh sports fans welcome back happy friday hopefully all of you are headed home or you're calling it a day and getting ready for the weekend this is Jeff Hartman, your host of Back Through the Tunnel, the DK Pittsburgh Sports PM podcast. And joining me today, he had a weekend, he had a week off last week. Uh, <laughs> I, I had Tom Reed, our new long form writer on, but Mike Kovac, who covers Pitt for the DKPittsburghSports.com website, is with me again, talking college sports and Pitt athletics. Mike, what's up?
1: Uh, not much, Jeff. How you doing? I, I feel refreshed and re-energized, uh, ready to talk some Pitt sports with
0: you today yeah you're like the pitcher they got you know they're turning the rotation you got an extra break so you should be revved up and ready to go but let's get right into things the NCAA you know everyone talks about returning to play everyone talks about you know different things whether it's testing protocols they're talking about distancing they're talking about locker rooms NCAA is its own beast in so many different ways but before we dive into this topic 100% head first, what is, the, what is the latest we've heard from the NCAA in terms of fall sports, mainly football, but all fall sports in that regard? And may it, I guess my first question is, is it being done like universally like a whole blanket across the NCAA, or is it going to be by conference? For instance, the ACC, the SEC, et cetera. What's the latest that we know about this situation?
1: Well, that seems to be uh you know one of the sticking points, Jeff, is that the NCAA c w a isn't really providing uh universal guidance on this, and it's it's sort of coming down to uh the conference level uh individual institutions are making decisions right now, literally just within um within the last half hour of, of us getting started here, the a c c decided it will postpone fall sports. Uh, until September first. Now, this does not affect football because none of the ACC schools are starting until September fifth. It affects more like the men's and women's soccer. Uh, I think maybe volleyball, uh, cross country. But you know, in terms of Pitt, Pitt had not released any other schedules other than football. So I don't know if this is just posturing on the ACC's part, or if this is, will have some significant impact on the uh, non-revenue or, or the Olympic sports. But that literally just happened, uh, you know, w- within a half hour of us getting started here. And and we have, uh, you know, s- several institutions. Uh, North Carolina uh, decided to shut down activities for a couple weeks after, uh, uh, I think, 30-some positive tests yesterday were revealed. Ohio State, you know, shutting things down for a couple weeks. Um, and obviously, you know, we had, uh, you know, news yesterday. Uh, there were Division Three conferences. uh that decided to, to uh, you know, postpone fall sports. Uh, the Ivy League is, uh, you know, deciding, you know, they're not doing fall sports, nothing until January 1st. They may do fall sports in the spring. Uh, they haven't made up their mind yet, but it, it, this is an incredibly fluid situation. And it seems like every day there are 10 or 15 updates uh to this story. If you're following it, it's almost uh, enough to make your head spin a little bit and uh, enough to uh, make you wonder, are they really going to be able to start on time? Like uh, the NCAA at some point pr- does need to step in and, and I think offer some guidance and not just let all these different member institutions and conferences, uh, you know, sort of make their own rules. I, I feel like a little oversight at, at the very least would be a good thing.
0: Well, that you know, you brought up the Ivy league. We'll get to that in a second, but I was just going to ask you, I mean, do you think that, oh my gosh, the NCAA, shouldn't they just be stepping in and saying, here's the deal. Here are some protocols that you're going to have to follow. Here's some guidance. This is, I mean, why are they not doing that? I, I don't understand that because you can look at this in a lot of different ways, but ultimately, whether you're Division One, Two, II, or Three, you all fall under the umbrella of the NCAA, and you would think that the NCAA would want to protect its brand it's we're talking money and we're going to get to that also in this segment but don't i guess what in your in your heart of hearts why in the world are they not
1: doing this you know that it's an incredibly great question <laughs> uh, because with the ncaa you just never know and, and clearly there's you know billions of dollars on the line here especially with football uh you know television contracts uh home games, fans in the stands, all those things, you would think, you know, most institutions, you look at sport, the, the professional sports leagues, they are issuing guidelines. Now, granted, it's a little easier. You have maybe 30, 32 teams in a sports league. You've got 120-some football teams. You have however many Division One soccer teams, you know. I mean, they're, they're governing a, a much larger body but uh, I don't see any reason at this point why they haven't issued some sort of skeleton outline of guidelines for schools to follow. Um, you know, if they're in a wait and see mode, we're running out of time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's middle of July, and uh, student athletes are back on campus at at most Division one schools. And yeah, I'm not sure what they're waiting for because it's going to be August before we know it. It's august is training camp month and you know the media days for conferences are coming up in a couple of weeks they're really uh, running out of time to to make up their uh, minds on some things to offer guidance on things and it, it is the potential for stickiness and messiness is just everywhere right now i compare it to the
0: nfl and based on the fact that the NFL is in its offseason and they've always, everyone's been saying, well, they have time, they have time, they have time. Well, they have time mm-hmm. until you don't have time anymore. And we're getting to that point. And I honestly think with the NCAA, if you ha- if they haven't done anything yet, why would they step in now? You have the yeah. Ivy league that just said, we're canning all fall sports, just blanket statement done. And the NCAA has to be sitting there thinking, Oh my gosh, If the SEC does this, we're screwed because let's be honest, Mike, what is this about? It is about the money. It's about money. Now everyone can say that about the professional leagues. Why? Everything is about the money, whether it's the NFL with players contracts, guaranteed money. We celebrate Bobby Bonilla day every July 1st when he still gets paid by the New York Mets. It's always about money because they get paid. Now this is different though. We're talking about student athletes. You can believe whatever you want about whether these athletes should be compensated for their work that they do on the field or on the ice or on the court, whatever the case may be. How in the world is the NCAA that this is such a fine line to walk when it comes to, we need to also make money. But at the same time, this is a whole other can of worms when you're talking about young kids, student athletes, that aren't being compensated for the work that they do you can put a football player in the NFL out there and everyone will say well they're making millions of dollars mm-hmm. they should be out there you have a college kid that's getting paid nothing now I know they might be getting scholarship money not all of them and then mm-hmm. that's a different what are your thoughts on that in regards to the money that we're talking about which you
1: referenced earlier and this this tightrope that, that the NCAA is going to have to walk well, uh, you know, one thing you, you mentioned Bobby Bonilla day and, and a lot of people forget there's a Brett Saberhagen day, I, I believe for the Mets too, where they, uh, <laughs> yeah. once a year pay him about $250,000, uh, not quite Bobby Bonilla, Bunny, but still kind of funny. I take uh, it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> no doubt about that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you have to, uh, consider the safety of these student athletes, um, particularly because, you know, like you said, they aren't being compensated. And even if they were, it wouldn't be anywhere near the level of uh, what the pro athletes are making, obviously. And and no matter what they might be able to make off their likeness and their brand, uh, as these new rules come into effect and, 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 you know, things loosen up a little more, it's it's not going to be that much. And And these kids are, you know, you have these schools like Ohio State. Uh, it came out that they made these, uh, you know, their football players and I'm sure all their other student athletes uh, sign a, a waiver uh, you know, regarding the, the COVID-19 when they came back and returned to campus. I, I imagine many other institutions did the same thing. Uh, I don't know if Pitt did or not. We we haven't found out that information, but very possible that they have. Uh, you know, but you know, you have you have these student athletes, they're, they're getting together, you're getting all these kids together. They're grouped up. Uh, you know, what happens at schools? You know, what happens at, at, at team facilities and things one person gets sick and you know, everybody else gets sick, you know? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, and, and the, the money you mentioned, I mean, the money uh, in college football is obviously huge. Um, you know, even at a school like Pitt that doesn't have the best attendance, You know, the football program, as of a couple years ago, was responsible for, I think it was 51.1% of uh, the money brought in by the athletic department. Um, That's a whopping margin when you think about it. Um, And you take away that and, uh, you know, you're looking at universities and schools that are are scrambling uh, to fill the void and they're not going to be able to. whether it's play in the spring or play without fans, uh, you know, might be able to get some money TV wise, but uh, I I feel like part of the delay is because we're in a wait and see mode. Uh, With the Ivy league, they're not as financially impacted by not having football in the fall. Whereas the sec, it's a huge decision. Um, you know, a school like LSU or Florida, that packs them, Alabama, that packs them in every single Saturday, uh, that is just such a huge boon to the athletic department, to the university that, you know, they probably do have to wait until last possible minute to make a decision on all this stuff uh, while considering the health and safety of their student athletes. It's, it's a tricky slope. I'm glad I have nothing to do with it. I just hope there's some college football to watch. Um, but. I'm beginning to doubt uh, that it's going to start on time.
0: Well, let's, let's play a little devil's advocate here. So the Ivy league says no fall sports. And let's be honest, if you follow Ivy league sports, the average sports fan is going to say who cares because (laughs) you don't have any good football programs. You're not a power five conference. So I don't care if you cancel your sports Uh, to be honest, you know, as a former lacrosse guy myself in the spring, that's the one you would say, wow, the Ivy league just canceled all spring sports because they're known for that sport. Anyways, Mm -hmm. Let's say that the main conferences we're talking, the Big Ten, ACC, SEC, even Pac-12, Big 12, let's say they all say, you know what, we're not canceling. But what if those other smaller, you know, whether it's the MAC or other conferences like that say, you know what, we can't do this and we're going to cancel. What do you think would happen with the scheduling? I mean, could could we see potentially – just the power conferences going head to head. I mean, I don't understand. Like I feel like they, they have to have in terms of football, let me preface it with that in terms of football, you have to have, I mean, these schedules
1: that are going to be impacted. If it's not all together, what what would they do? (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, I would think my, my initial guess is they would stick with a conference only schedule. Uh, the logistics of trying to, uh, bring in a power five school or figure out who's going to play where and who's going to travel to where would be pretty difficult to do on such a short notice. You're talking, uh, most, uh, college football teams travel with 60. So you have 60 players on top of coaches, on top of support staff, on top of, you know, you know, I guess the band wouldn't need to come, you know, obviously, but, uh, you know, you have a lot of, uh, lot of moving pieces when it comes to that so I I was joking around with uh, another writer friend of mine like wouldn't it be funny if somehow this is what brought Pitt and Penn State back together that uh, you know they they're not scheduled (laughs) they're not scheduled until the 20 uh, couldn't schedule themselves again until like at least the 2030s but somehow that uh, this pandemic would uh, could force them to play each other somehow but I don't see that kind of stuff happening as cool as it would be like, how great would it be if, uh, you know, Clemson called up, uh, you know, Alabama and said, Hey, let's do this. Um, you know, but I, I don't think given the short notice it, it's feasible. So I would, I would suspect it would be a conference only schedule.
0: So what are the options for college football? Cause that, that's what everyone is talking about right now. And it has, so many layers to it besides obviously the safety of players obviously fans and attendance some are talking about an option well we'll just move it to the spring what about the NFL draft that's Mm going to weigh in on it as well so what are have you heard of any options that are being floated around um delaying the season changing up the schedule like what what have you heard if anything
1: yeah well obviously right now everybody uh especially, you know, in the power five, they're operating as scheduled and they have to for now. But, you know, a delay in the season is a possibility. Absolutely. It depends on how far of a delay you go. Now you have that, that time frame where from the end of the, the college regular season to the bowl season gets started, you do have a few weeks. So if you push it back a few weeks, you know, say you push everything back three weeks, you you still probably have the time frame to transition into that crazy long way too many bowl game schedule uh, maybe this is what leads to trimming down the bowl games a little bit and you don't yes, have uh, please have all some you know I know gamblers love those games yeah but uh, if you're not gambling on uh, some of those early season bowl games and those uh, ones after New Year's Day before the uh, College football playoff starts up, but there's really not much reason to watch them. And but so you have the time to do that. So pushing the schedule back's probably one of the first options on the table. And then after that, if if that's not looking good, then you then you look at you know going to the conference only schedule. You know, but that's where you know that's where a lot of the smaller schools really run into trouble because, like, say Pitt's playing Miami of Ohio to open the season. Uh, they're playing at Marshall which is a, kind of an interesting game and maybe a trap game for them. They also have Richmond on their schedule. Mm. So, you know, teams like Miami of Ohio and Richmond are coming to Pitt to collect a paycheck, you know, partly, you know. Yeah. Um, so th- that money is important for their athletic program, whether they uh, play Pitt within 10 points or, or lose by 30, they're, they're going there, you know, that's why they call it a buy game. Uh, you know, give yeah. me the paycheck. It helps our athletic department. We move on and and go on to the next week. But, you know, then you don't have those games and those type of teams from those conferences, I think you start to see a trickle down effect where those athletic departments struggle. You know, those are the schools where sports get dropped. You know, just yesterday obviously Stanford dropped, I think it was eleven Varsity Sports, which is crazy, but they had a close to thirty anyway. So you see, you know the trickle down effect from that is schools dropping sports. You know, spring ball, absolute last resort. You know, you move everything to the spring. You know, weather wise, it's fine. Football players can play, and as you know, it doesn't matter for football. It can be rain, snow, sleet; they'll play. So weather wise, spring's not a big deal. But where you run into problems, like you said, you mentioned the NFL. If you are you know, I'll use Pitt for instance, because that's a team I, I know the most about right now. If you're Paris Ford or Jalen Twyman or Patrick Jones or, say, like a Jimmy Morrissey or even a, a Kenny Pickett, and you're thinking about an NFL career and you're faced with the decision do I want to play spring ball for Pitt or do I want to get ready to potentially make millions of dollars in the NFL? You know, uh, some might choose to play at the college level, but if it was me and I was in those shoes, I would be, nah, man, I'm good. I'm going to go get ready for the NFL. Uh, Or does the NFL agree to push the draft back and and push their summer activities back to accommodate college football? Who knows, but, you know, that that to me is spring football is the last resort, and I think it's not a a good option really because of that, especially if you're a team like Pitt that has so many – draft eligible players and and so many experienced players lined up. You you could be looking at going from thinking about 10 wins in the fall to man, all of a sudden we're starting a bunch of sophomores where we were starting seniors. And and they wouldn't be the only school in that boat, but they would certainly be in that boat.
0: Let's get down to brass tacks here, Mike. And the question is, and I've asked this to um, both of our hockey writers, Taylor and Dave, that I've had on. Um, I've asked Dale, the Steelers, and I've asked Alex of the pirates. And I'm going to ask you the same thing. Is this possible? Is this actually feasible for the NCAA and for all these schools? And let's also not forget the States where they reside. Cause that's going to play a factor in this as well. Is this in your opinion? And I know you're not a, you're not someone that Dave Molinari would say, well, I not I'm not the one making the decisions. We know that. <laughs> would do you think this is even a possibility
1: to have this fall season even happen a possibility yes but with every passing day i think the chances of it are diminishing uh to to be quite honest at the very least starting on time right now i would say there's just no way um i hope i'm wrong because there's not many things i like better in college football to be quite honest with you yeah. but uh it just looks so tough. You know, the co- and colleges, I think, in my mind, face more obstacles than the pro teams. You know, you have more teams, you know, I mean, yep. some colleges have 20 some teams they have to monitor. So that's more athletes you have to test. That's more money that goes into testing. How do you keep, you know, if you're at a college that the students are welcome back to, how do you keep, do you keep your athletes sequestered from the students? And if so, how do you do that? So are you, you know, are your athletes going strictly online learning uh, or, you know, what, how, how do you go about that process? It'd be very difficult to do to keep a 18 to 22 year old young man or woman socially sequestered yeah. from an entire <laughs> campus community, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think that's pretty much what you would have to do um, to, to really ensure it going off with as few hitches as possible. And so right now I, I, I don't feel great about the odds of a fall sports season right now. Hope I'm wrong, but I don't feel gr- great about them. And, and every day I feel, you know, if you'd asked me last week, I would have felt better about it. You asked me next week, I might feel worse about it than I do now. Um, yeah, it, it's not looking good right now for colleges. Cause I think they face a lot more obstacles than the pro teams.
0: You're, you're absolutely right. And you know, I was reading a report the other day that West Virginia university is, is about to, they're, they're going to accept students back on campus in the fall. And I said to my wife, Oh my gosh, I don't care if the, if they say, you know, Make a blanket statement that West Virginia University football, if played, is going to be played in front of an empty stadium. If you think for a second that w, WVU fans, or should I say WU, as they would say back <laughs> in my hometown, that WVU fans would just say, I'm just going to stay isolated in my room and watch the game. You're nuts. You're absolutely out of your mind. If there's kids on campus, they're going to congregate. They're yeah. going to party. West Virginia has always been known as one of the major party schools. They like couches on fire. That's not my cup of tea, but that's <laughs> theirs. Um, it's just going to be a difficult situation because there's so many more layers like we mentioned. But you know what? That's enough talk of that stuff. When we come back after this break, we're going to get to Mike, we're going to get to know Mike a little bit better, not from a writer standpoint, from a personal standpoint. Stick around right after this break. <laughs> fans. We're back. Mike Hoback here who covers Pitt for DKPittsburghSports.com joins us. And Mike, you know, you're a new guy like me. We started on the same day, June 1. And I thought it'd be a good idea to give the listeners a little bit of perspective. So you always talk about college sports. You love college sports, but you grew up being a fan of the pros as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, as a kid, uh, you know, I grew up in Somerset, Pennsylvania. I was a diehard uh, Pittsburgh sports fan, you know, Steelers, Pirates, uh, Penguins, you know, I remember as a kid going to Penguins games and there not being anybody there. Uh, same thing yeah. with Pirates games at Three Rivers Stadium. Uh, that hasn't so changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I followed uh, pro sports too with a, with a pretty strong passion and uh, still have a, some pretty good opinions about it as well.
0: Well, let me ask you a simple question. Out of the big three in in
1: Pittsburgh, we're talking Pirates, Penguins, Steelers.
0: Growing up, who was your favorite player in each?
1: Well, uh, you know, boy, Steelers. That's a tough one because yeah. I grew up. Um, I'm forty, about to be forty six. So while I don't remember actually watching the Steelers win one of those '70s Super Bowls, I'm old enough to have seen a lot of those guys play in the late '80s and man was i i was a big franco harris fan as a kid big franco harris fan yeah. and um i have an autograph in my man cave uh my one of my college entrance uh essays or whatever you want to call it uh to when i was applying for schools I wrote about meeting Franco Harris and, uh, my dad sent it t- to him. And he, uh, in, in that essay, I wrote to my new best friend, Mike Kovac, uh, all the best Franco Harris or something like that. And I have Franco autograph wrote that word for word, what I wrote my essay and I have it hanging up on wall. That, the- that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> in my house, uh, big Franco fan. Um, and big, uh, you know, I, I think everybody, uh, it, who didn't like Jack Lambert, you know, uh, yeah. who, how could you not like him? Then as I got a little older, for some reason, I developed a huge affinity for Bubby Brister. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know what it was. I, I always refer to him as the original gunslinger. He was, uh, he was far of light in, in my opinion. And, uh, and, uh, I, uh, I think part of it had to do with the year, um, when the Steelers started off 0-2, and just got walloped by the Browns and the Bengals that outscored like, what was it like 92 to 10 or something ridiculous like that. And the Vikings were next on the schedule and looked like one of the best teams in the NFL. And Bubby said, we're going to make the playoffs. And they came out and beat uh, the Vikings that week. They made the playoffs and you know that they, they won that one playoff game and then took the Broncos to the limit yeah. uh, out in Mal- Malhi stadium. There was just something about that team and bubby leading the way that that I really like so you know oddly enough I'm in a very small minority of people where if I had to come up with five favorite Steelers of all time bubby brister is on my list <laughs>
0: What about uh that's so funny? I just never forget when I think of Bubby Brister, I always think of uh when he was quite he left Pittsburgh and he goes, Yo, I know what it's like in Pittsburgh, you know, playing next to the lake, it's always tough. I'm like, oh my gosh, man, it's three <laughs> river stadium. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, that, he,
1: that, that was part of his charm, in my yeah.
0: opinion. Uh, part of something. Um <laughs> what about the pirates and the penguins?
1: Yeah, yeah and you know uh you know it's funny uh, uh Pirates were awful uh, in the 80s when I was growing up but I, I did like Johnny Ray was definitely yeah. a, a player I liked a lot um and then I, I I grew to really like Barry Bonds I was in high school when the Pirates really got good uh with Bonds and Boney and Vance like and and I was drawn to Bonds he just he had a a flair to him a little bit uh could do everything and do it well um I understand he's a little prickly by nature but that's okay with me I didn't have to deal with him from a media standpoint when I was in <laughs> high school so I'm all all cool with that and uh from the Penguins of course obviously I mean you know, growing up in the 80s Mario Lemieux is your favorite yeah. player and I was a big Yager fan too uh you know the long hair and uh when I, I was in school at, at Pitt Yager and Jimmy Pack would occasionally there was a uh a drinking establishment uh, where the two of them would occasionally show up. And, and of course, you know, that was a huge deal. Um, yeah. and, oh my God, at such and such place. And, and uh, it didn't happen often, but when it did, it was pretty cool.
0: You don't see that anymore. or You don't hear about it. I guess maybe social media, you know, if you think about like, uh, Oh Ruined my gosh. Everything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> old man shaking fist yeah. cloud. Um So you have like, if Ben Roethlisberger were just to go to a bar, you know, even if he's not drinking, it would be on social media in a heartbeat and they would be get mobbed. Like they don't, they don't do that anymore. You brought up Jimmy Pack. Like that, that's one of those great names of guys that just get swept under the rug on great teams. Uh, yep. You know, it's kind of like the spanky Lavaliers of the 92, you know, the early 90s Pirates teams. They're like, oh my gosh, I forgot about him. Or, you know, Jose Lean, Chico out there in, yeah. in middle infield. Um, I was always a fan slight guy, but since you brought up Bonds –
1: think he should be in the hall of fame i uh, am not a uh, harbinger of the credibility of the uh, baseball <laughs> you know i know a lot of those hall of fame voters just refuse to vote for guys like that and i'm i'm D- of the belief <laughs> cough cough dk <laughs> well and well and he i i i didn't know he was part of that and, and but uh no I, I i'm of the belief that you know how do we know that um players weren't on other you know performance enhancing drugs earlier than than the steroids era baseball um you know steroids have been around for a very long time and we, we don't know per se who was on them and who wasn't so I kind of look at it more from a perspective of it sounds like pretty much a lot of you know a pretty high percentage of players during that time were uh you know, aiding themselves with those things. If I had a Hall of Fame vote and I do not, and I will never have one, uh, very <laughs> unlikely anyway, yeah. I, I would give Bonds my vote.
0: Hey, people always say, Well, you know, he was an all-star, he was a he was one of the best players in the league before steroids. And I always combined to come back with the same thing. Then why would he ever have to use them?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was that, that's, that's a good, good. point too. Um, you know? he, he was you know, him and Ken Griffey Jr. to me were probably the two best players of a generation. Yeah. And uh you're right absolutely right there um he he didn't need um uh you know ego greed whatever uh led to some decisions uh, probably and uh you know clearly he got a lot bigger as he got older so. yeah
0: especially his head circumference <laughs> yeah. you
1: look at you look at like sammy sosa now sammy
0: sosa before roids was a very average ball player yep. guaire has always had power even back when he was with oakland and him and kanseko and and all those guys Well. We know what happened there, but Mm -hmm. I mean, Bonds was so good, anyways, that I I was just like, man, if he was if he was MVP caliber, MVP player, why would he need him? Let's go to the next one. What is the best sports moment you have ever seen live? So not on the television. You were actually there in person. It could be anything. It could be that you caught a foul ball as a kid. That's a great sports moment for the person that catches the ball. What is, <laughs> yeah. what is, what is it for you?
1: You know, one of the loudest ones, one of the things that pops into my head is the uh, the famous Game 7 between the Islanders and the Penguins where David Volex scored the goal in overtime. Oh. Well, that wasn't awesome. What was really fun about that was, um, you know, being at that game and the Penguins are down 3-1. to one, and people are leaving Civic Arena, and Ron Francis scores like two goals in like the final three minutes and 30 seconds, and those of us who stayed, the place was just shaking, and then people were coming back to their seats, and everybody was just excited, because here's this maybe the greatest regular season Penguins team of all time, fought off this impossible uh, deficit in the last seconds, and, and we're going to overtime, and then, it, you know, we all know how it ended. But uh, in terms of just, like, sheer uh, emotion and jubilation, when Francis scored that goal to make it 3-3, man, that place was, was nuts. And that was really cool to be there for that. And then a half hour later, it really stunk walking out of there.
0: Yeah, the, the old igloo would rock. I mean, it would – I mean, it was different. And Three Rivers was the same way you know, I don't know if it's just the way that it was built or maybe it's nostalgia, but I mean, those places with Rocket, I'll never forget going to games and watching I don't know, when the power play of the Penguins would get on the ice and they'd have, they'd hand out the uh, the shark fins. And I don't know if you remember this, but you'd hold up the fins and you'd hear the, the Jaws music. Nah, nah, nah. That was just so cool. It just seems like they're, the game is missing some of that stuff now, but that's a really cool moment. And, Getting to experience that comeback, even though the letdown that happened in overtime um, probably goes down as one of the worst series losses for the Penguins in their history. But you were there for it. That's good. It's a good I, memory. It might, maybe it's my
1: fault. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, all right, Mike. Well, this has been a great show. Very informative. Loved hearing some of the stories talking about, you know, growing up and players that you looked up to and stuff like that. Why don't you give everyone out there that's listening your uh, Twitter handle so in case you want to follow you on social media.
1: I am on Twitter. It's at Mike Kobach underscore PGH. And if you're looking for the spelling of my last name, it is K-O-V-A-K. Awesome. Thank you for
0: that. Thank you for your time. Listen, everyone, if you're, wherever you're listening to our podcast, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, Stitcher, Anchor, I could go on. We're everywhere. Find us and subscribe, follow, whatever the terminology they're using on that particular platform. That way you don't miss any shows. That's not just Back to the Tunnel, this PM show, but DK's Daily Shot in the Morning, as well as anytime we have a writer go on the air, whether it's Dale Lolly on the SNR, the, the drive with Matt Williamson, or it's DK's role with Matt, Mark Madden on 105.90X. We'll have it there for you, too. So it's not just our shows. It's a lot more than that. Follow us, subscribe. We appreciate all the help. Mike, thank you for your time. Everyone have a great weekend. We'll be back next Monday, hopefully getting you ready for actual sports. Take it easy. We'll see you.